You're listening to a podcast from BJSM. I'm with Dr. Anthony Butler, and he's from the Uniformed Services University in Bethesda, Maryland. He's the head of the JUMP ACL study, which we're going to discuss, which I think is going to have major implications in the field. Anthony, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. What is JUMP ACL? And how did it begin? Well, uh, the Jump ACL project is a prospective cohort study looking at uh, looking at modifiable risk factors for anterior ligament injury. It um, it began, I think, way back in 2001 uh, with an idea. I was at the at the U.S. Naval Academy as a sports medicine fellow. I was taking care of the women's soccer team there. That year, we had um, seven ACL injuries on our uh, on our varsity team, including one to a young lady that was her third ACL injury in her four years there at the academy, and actually took her out of her senior year. She never really was obviously able to effectively play at the academy. And it sort of sparked a question in me that, you know, isn't there something that we can do to try to intervene, to try to make these injuries not happen quite so often? Uh, that led to me getting involved with uh, Dr. Barry Bowden on a on a proposal to the uh, American Medical uh, excuse me the American Orthopedic Society for Sports Medicine, and we were invited to go down and and uh, compete for a small grant down there. and And there we got hooked up with uh, Dr. Bill Garrett, uh, uh, who was my mentor at Duke University and had since moved to the University of North Carolina. And really got hooked up with the rest of his team, Dr. Steve Marshall and Dr. Darren Padua at the University of North Carolina as well. And uh, that's kind of where the idea of Jump ACL began of, of you know, can we uh, take a bunch of measurements from uh, folks as they enter the military academies, the three military academies, Air Force, uh, Army, uh, the military academy at West Point, and uh, then the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. Can we take a bunch of measurement baseline and then see what actually predicts who progresses on to ACL injury and who does uh, over a period of time. And so I'm, you know, I'm really happy to have a chance to, to speak to you today. I, uh, Steve Marshall has been, uh, the, at University of North Carolina, has been the principal investigator on the study, and I've kind of run the, the military side of things. And uh, there are probably literally over 100 people uh, between graduate and undergraduate students, project managers, lab managers, and, and uh, other folks who have invested effort in this in this process. And we've got investigators now at University of North Carolina, all three military academies, Duke University, University of Connecticut, and University of North Florida. So it is, it is a big collaborative effort that we work on together. I understand why you needed all those collaborators to get the numbers, which is going to be hugely helpful. Tell us what the main findings are. The main findings of Jump ACL are that um, they're basically what we're looking for is, uh, you know, we collected data in a variety of, of ways. We looked at a baseline questionnaire looking at uh, things in past medical history, past injury history that might be, uh, past sports exposure that might be predictive. We looked at uh, anatomical alignment type variables. We looked at muscle strength, uh, kinematics joint angles and kinetics kind of force plate data. And um, the main findings kind of fall down in, in those areas. And so I think the main finding as far as past history goes is that after all the questions we asked these guys about what sports they played before they came to the academies, how much they ran, uh, what kind of injuries they had had, uh, all the medicines they took, a lot of uh, hormonal contraception questions for the females. What really came out was that uh, 
not surprisingly, a history of a previous ACL injury is a very strong predictor of future ACL injury. And uh, that that's has a relative risk of between six and seven, it, it appears in our population. Um, some interesting things from anatomical and alignment perspective uh, that I was really happy to see. Uh, we talk a lot about, um, it's been reported before, Juhorczyk had some findings that suggested that a, a higher BMI uh, actually was a risk factor for injury, and that looks like it holds true again in this population, that folks with a higher BMI, for us that was above, our cut point for that was 22 and a half, that uh, folks with a BMI above 22 and a half seem to be at a slightly increased risk for ACL injury. That's not a huge predictor. It was interesting in our data set, one thing that went against what we had thought was we looked at Q angle and measured Q angle quite carefully. It's been talked about a lot. But I think jump ACL will help us put that to bed. Q angle, in our data anyway, a higher Q angle actually was protective from ACL injury and quite protective for ACL injury. Uh, and then finally, in the anatomical alignment, we looked closely at arch height with navicular drop, and navicular drop shows absolutely no effect over its range. So that one just was a complete wash. So. Those were nice to be able to put some of those old things. Those aren't necessarily perhaps so modifiable, but it was just nice to be able to to put some of those away. I think some of the um, some of the other interesting findings uh, were that muscle strength doesn't have much of an effect. Uh, so having uh, you know stronger hip extensors or external rotators doesn't seem to be protective. It's interesting that there is a trend in. Uh, in our hamstrings data that, that that goes the opposite way, which you might think, that a trend towards stronger hamstrings actually being a risk factor for future ACL injury. And that's interesting to think about when you talk about what that might mean. But I think the the biggest um, the biggest finding is, is sort of the verification of the, the jump landing kinematics or how you, we measured people if they landed from a jump and then kind of rebounded back up, almost like a, a kind of a classic box jump or box landing. And uh, how you move as you interact with the ground in the jump landing movement is predictive of future ACL injury. Uh, again, hip abduction, abduction seems to be the biggest factor there, that having a wider you land is protective. Having a narrower stance when you land uh, seems to be a, a risk factor and predicts future injury. Hip flexion angle also seems to be quite predictive, which is interesting and again goes different than, than we thought a priori was that uh, having a higher level of hip flexion uh, is actually a risk factor for injury after a certain point. Um, so uh, very high levels of hip flexion look like that they uh, are a marker for future injury. So those are some of our main factors. There's also some things in ground reaction forces and moments that go along with the kinematics that match up pretty well with the wider stance being protective and narrower stance not being uh, a good idea. And I really appreciate you sharing that with the BDSM listeners ahead of final publication. And, of course, it's okay to do this the way we discussed it at a conference. So this won't scoop your NBC interviews and uh, Jay Leno and uh, David Letterman show interviews later. Um, that really is fascinating. The number, the six to seven times greater risk of ACL rupture if you've had a previous ACL, it's bigger than people thought really, isn't it? 
I, I think it is bigger than most of us think about. Uh, when the, in some of the previous data, it's been up as high. You know, Shelburne has some stuff in younger athletes. Our all of our all of our participants in our study obviously were college age, eighteen and above. In younger athletes, Shelburne has has numbers that are up even higher than that. You know, twelve to fifteen times likelihood. So, I I think it's it is a huge number and it is bigger than we think about. And it, it has some good implications for us that, you know, if we're looking to identify people who are very high risk for ACL injury, there's a pretty easy risk factor that we that we can identify pretty quickly. And if I remember rightly from the conference, you found that it affected the injured side and the uninjured side equally? We do on people. So that's uh, that's one of our sub-analyses that will be coming out a little bit after our main main finding this, this fall. But for um, we just looked at for the for the main jump ACL cohort, we just looked at people who had no previous history of ACL injury. They entered the academy with no previous history of of, of ACL injury, and um, those people we just tested uh, their dominant leg, the leg they would prefer to kick a soccer ball with. Um, but for people who entered the academy with a previous history of ACL injury, we actually tested both sides, their injured side and their unaffected side as well. And we have data on them prospectively following them forward, and that's where we get our number of uh, six- to seven-fold risk of increased injury. And also from people who came in without an ACL injury, and we have several of those folks that tore their ACL two and three times while at the academy. So uh, that's where we get our our risk factors for previous injury. And that's a great strength of this massive cohort and you following the people in the academy for so long. So congratulations on that. So the take-home message, though, is that you could, you're equally at risk of rupturing either side once you've ruptured one. Is that correct? Um, uh, no, actually. It seems to depend very much on whether you're a, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. Um, men seem to preferentially, and this matches stuff that's been done before. Shelburne first pointed this out uh, in his own data and then went back to some folks that had previously published, uh, Salmon and some other folks, went back and pointed out in their cohorts that it was also true that men seem to preferentially re-rupture the same side. They tend to be hard on their, on their injured knee, whereas women are much more likely to hurt the contralateral side in a second injury. And that was true in our in our data set, uh, I believe all of our women, if we took out our multiple injuries, the people who injured their, their knee multiple times in our our, uh, our cohort, often those guys flip-flop back and forth. But folks who just injured twice uh, in our measurements, um, I believe it was all the women that in our cohort re-injured their uh, contralateral side, and all men in our cohort except for one re-injured his ipsilateral side uh, for re-injury. So it does seem to be a very gender-specific thing, and we're not really sure why that is. We're going back and doing some more analysis now to see if their movement patterns are different, if their sports participation is different. Uh, maybe it's a problem of American football, gridiron football, hard to know. Um, but uh, it does seem to very much depend uh, on gender, whether you re-injure the same side or a different side. And that leads us into what you're doing about it because clearly your group's at the front end of having access to this. So I'm sure you've shared this with trainers and team docs and what's happening for uniformed services, university athletes. Yeah, we're, we've really tried to go back. I mean, uh, you know, we have 
over 6,000 um, 6, cadets at the military academies who've given their time to this uh, to be involved in this cohort. And so one of our first priorities is getting the benefit of this study back to them, uh, sort of paying them back, as you will, as a group for the great investment that they've made in helping us. So our next efforts really have been to try to take what uh, we've learned here. We've applied some of this in the youth soccer population, as others have as well. And uh, we're trying now to take uh, findings from Jump ACL. We've developed a 10-minute injury prevention warm-up program that tries to train out some of these uh, high-risk movement patterns that we see. And we're taking that back to the military academies now to see if if we can prevent not just ACL injuries, but uh, as has also been reported in the literature, by happy circumstances, it seems that by trying to prevent ACL injuries, you also clean up a lot of other low extremity injuries. Um, and uh, our preliminary data is, is good, that perhaps we are able to make an effect with that. Although I will say that we, we feel very much like perhaps the uh, early investigators felt with penicillin. We have this product that we think is uh, interesting and we, we know it does something, but knowing exactly how much of it we should give and over what period of time and for how long that protection would last and exactly who this is best meant for, uh, we're still in our infancy with that. And uh, we're, those are all the questions we're trying to answer is uh, how is this best delivered? Right now, it seems best delivered with professional supervision, with athletic trainers and, and strength coaches watching you know, small groups of people do these exercises and forming corrections. But obviously, in the military, uh, it would be much better if we could deliver it in a, in a broader, uh, sort of amateur-led uh, way. But we haven't been successful with that just yet. So yeah, those, that's where we're really headed next, is to try to take this back to the academies and and try to prevent that, prevent injuries from happening there. I'm going to put in a little plug for BJCM's push on implementation there. Uh, BJCM, under the leadership of Carolyn Finch, is is working hard to look at the science of implementing these sort of things, which, which you'll appreciate, Anthony. Can you tell us what's in the 10-minute warm-up, just a few things that our listeners might be able to think about from your 10-minute warm-up? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we spend a lot of time uh, on, obviously, since all the risk factors we know came out of a jump landing, we spend a lot of time with, with jumps. So we we, uh, we do a fair amount of squats, lunges, uh, side hops to balance, almost the cone hops that you, that you see, um, other exercises, uh, ice skater type exercises and things like that. I think, you know, uh, what we've learned about the exercises I'm happy to share is that there uh, there almost appears to be no magic in the exercises. All the exercises that we use are exercises that have been used in, in other trials and other programs. Um, but what really seems to be magic is the coaching, is actually getting people to change the way they perform these tasks so that they do them in a uh, more biomechanically sound, in a in a in a, with a movement pattern that is less risky for injury, puts them at less, less risk for injury. That really seems to be the key. And, and for that, we emphasize the, the sort of traditional good form, that your knees need to be in line with your hips, and those need to be in line with your toes, and that your toes need to be, you know, point straight forward. You should land softly. Those, those are the things that we emphasize in our warm-up. 
And you mentioned some of the other key studies. I'm sure you want to acknowledge some of the researchers who pioneered some of this work ahead of what you've done. So who do you think of when you think of the giants whose shoulders you stepped on? Well, I, <laughs> there are so many, it's hard, it's hard to say. Uh, I, I, but I really think that I owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to, to Bill Garrett. Uh, he's got me interested in ACL. I introduced search when I was just a medical student. And I've been impressed by the fact that uh, when I was a medical student eating lunch with Bill Garrett, he would, uh, he would talk about where he thought ACL injury prevention was headed, ACL injuries were headed where we'd be in, in 10 to 15 years. I've been impressed with how clairvoyant he's actually been on that. I, where we are right now is where he thought we would be 10 and 15 years ago, which, which is a great tribute to him. Uh, and I hope he has another 10 to 15 years of clairvoyance left in him. Um, I think that you know Bert Mendelbaum's stuff with the PEP program has been fantastic. Uh, they've they've had great results, and uh, and I think uh, you know the things that uh, Stefan and, and Roald Barr uh, and uh, Michael Burst and all, all those folks have done with with the other these other injury uh, prevention programs that have really been fantastic. Tim Hewitt's uh, work and his group with Greg Myers, uh, they are. Uh, you know, Hewitt and, and our group are really the only two groups that have that have reported on prospective injuries, where we've actually taken measurements before and then followed people through to see who gets injured and who doesn't. I hope that we're not the last to do that. I, I think there's still lots of room for prospective uh, trials to still happen, and, and certainly think that those are very powerful, uh, powerful things to have happen. So. Those are some of the some of the folks that I think have really done done fantastic work, and uh, we've learned a lot from them. And I hope that they uh, can learn a lot from us, and I hope we get this thing solved. And what about FIFA? I think also that the FIFA folks with the 11 plus have been very helpful in uh, in pushing this forward, especially in a nice broad population. They have such tremendous clout over the over the the football, the soccer community, that uh, to see them embrace injury prevention has been very gratifying. I think they've they've done great work. So. I just want to move back to the BMI for a bit. You said that over 22.5 was a predictor of increased risk. Tell us more about that. Well, I don't know that there's much more to say about that. I, I will say that, you know, as we broke things down um, and looked at it, uh, BMI from 22.5 to 20, 24.5 was the highest uh, risk ratio. That looks to be about 1.8. And then over uh, 24.5 drops back to 1.6 for a ratio. But you know, that's one that's hard to know. That's hard to know what that means. Does that mean that it's actually the increased BMI that puts you at risk? Or is that just a marker for somebody who's an athlete? That, you know, realizing, especially in this, it's only been reported, and uh, this has been reported twice now in Uhorchuk's data, which is the West Point Military Academy, and in our data, which is, um, which is again, at the Military Academy, where fitness standards are pretty are pretty uh, important, and uh, so there's not a lot of uh, folks that would typically struggle with the American epidemic of obesity. So, is this just simply a marker for for an intercollegiate athlete? Is this just a marker? Of, uh, intercollegiate athletes tend to have a higher BMI, especially in sport and contact sports of, of basketball and foot, American football, grand football, even soccer. You can see higher BMI. So, are we just simply picking up folks who? by the sports that they play and at the level they play them are are more consistently putting their bodies at risk for ACL injury. That's always what's hard to know with prospective risk factor studies. You can identify the risk factor, you can identify the signature, but 
you know exactly what that signature means is is tough to is tough to know. I think that this one for me falls in a similar category with increased hamstring strength. How could increased hamstring strength be a marker or a risk factor for future ACL injury? Well, again, I think it may be a marker for athletic participation. That folks with stronger hamstrings are the soccer players and the and the other players who work out and really really build their those hamstring muscles up consciously. Also, though, hamstring strength might be a marker because uh, if you have a biomechanically uh, risky landing movement pattern that you usually engage in, perhaps you you need to fire your hamstrings more than than uh, the average person to protect your ACL. And so maybe that's what we're seeing, that hamstring strength is also maybe perhaps compensatory for an otherwise biomechanically unsound movement pattern. And then when something happens that so you can't fire hamstrings, then that's when you tear your ACL. But uh, again, our study is pretty clear on what the prospective risk factors are. Figuring out exactly what those mean, that's, uh, that's a much tougher question. That is very interesting, Anthony, and thanks for sharing that um, with us at this stage. That really is exciting, and we'll follow that up through the BGSM blog, and we'll ask you to write an editorial when your main paper comes out. But before we wrap it up, um, can you preview what's next for the JUMP ACL team? Well, I think what's next for us is we just came back from uh, from uh, the military academy and the Air Force Academy. It's been a very busy summer. Um, we are implementing... Uh, this uh, 10-minute warm-up uh, in the, at the Military Academy at West Point at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, basically randomizing half of the incoming class. So half the incoming class of both those places will receive the injury prevention warm-up, and half the incoming class will receive a kind of a standard warm-up they do before they before they exercise. And then we're measuring both their uh, movement pattern at, at baseline before we intervene, and then after we intervene uh, for a period of time to see if we can pick up movement pattern changes, and then following those folks forward for uh, for differences in injury rate over the subsequent 12 months. So that's really where we're headed. First of all, next, we also have a lot of interest in um, the question of now that we've identified this group of uh, folks with prior ACL injury as a, as a at-risk group, how can we help them? Uh, it appears that their movement patterns are, again, perhaps a major determinant of the future injury so is there you know is there a concentrated more dedicated uh, program that they need is there a way that we can uh, intervene there to help them to make sure one ACL injury is bad enough but certainly no one should have to suffer two three and four and certainly a, a large number of folks do right now so those are some of the two places where we're really headed next we also have some interest in the in uh, osteoarthritis, as you mentioned, where you heard about this, is that, uh, what role do movement patterns play in the subsequent uh, cascade towards arthritis? We know that folks with ACL injury have uh, much higher uh, rates and earlier onset of their osteoarthritis and could movement pattern and some of the things we've learned in jump ACL help uh, mitigate that and, and alter that course. That sounds like a great series of next steps Anthony, so we'll leave it there today and let you get back to work on the paper. So thanks a lot for your time today. Thanks very much. And I've been with Anthony Butler, who wanted to be an NBA player, but I think he's going to contribute more to sport than all but Michael Jordan's in, in that sport. 
he's undertaken a fantastic study that you've heard about with very large numbers over a long period of time looking at what predicts ACL injury and some very practical solutions have come out of that. Thanks for listening to the BJSM podcast and follow us on Twitter. The address is at BJSM underscore BMJ and the BJSM blog and the active homepage where you'll also find free videos on how to examine body parts, including the knee. Thanks for listening. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.